You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Besides just even stress relief or relaxation, better sleep, you know, it can treat insomnia. There's yoga, and when I say yoga, I also mean the meditative aspect of it and meditation. It's scientifically proven that it increases levels of melatonin. I mean, melatonin is huge, and it was the pretty much on the forefront of treating COVID during COVID, and it was used. Uh, it was used to treat Ebola, and power. We are we are a powerhouse. And that's ancient yogis, and I, uh, they are the original scientists. They knew what we are capable of, and we and and that was Manisha Raja. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with Monisha Raja, founder of Monisha Raja Yoga, where she offers online and real-time Hatha yoga classes and workshops and Ayurvedic coaching. She's also the founder of Yoga for COVID, a program she developed based on her personal COVID experience and healing during the pandemic. And... Manisha is also a fashion designer and founder of Love Is Mighty, her cruelty-free fashion footwear and accessories brand rooted in the yogic principle of ahimsa. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the Move. Okay, back to Monisha. Born and raised in India, Monisha Raja began her yoga practice at the age of four and has been teaching for over 20 years in New York City. We caught up just after she returned from a 20-day Vipassana meditation. Monisha shares her experience, key learnings, and why meditation is important. We chat about her yoga studio and classes and how she pioneered an evidence-based yoga treatment of COVID through asana and pranayama practice that's based on her own experience with COVID at the suggestion of her medical doctor at Mount Sinai. He encouraged her to help others through these ancient healing techniques that had been proven to work on her symptoms. She has been conducting her yoga for COVID classes since May 2020. One of the movements she emphasizes and explains during our conversation is the importance of our necks and neck movement, also known as Parmamudra, for combating brain fog, cleansing the lymphatic system and cervical lymph nodes, and how the neck is such an important bridge between the brain and the body 
and the rest of the organs. Manisha sheds light on her collaboration with scientists and researchers, Dr. William Bichelle and Eddie Stern, on the therapeutic potential and impact of yoga. And she talks about Yoga Aid, a nonprofit organization she founded in 2021, committed to honoring yoga's roots and source culture, India, and amplifying Indian South Asian voices in the field of yoga and health. Manisha and I also talk about the Ayurvedic coaching study she did with Dr. Deepak Chopra and how she has integrated the sister science of yoga into her existing offerings. And yes, we talk about Duran Duran because without them, Manisha might not be in New York City. It's an awesome story and you're going to laugh, but you have to wait till the end. If you do happen to live in New York City, Manisha is hosting a headstand workshop for all levels at the Broom Street Temple on Wednesday, the 26th of October. So head over to her website, manishajayoga.com for details. DM me on Instagram if you want to come. All right, get ready for an eye-opening, fascinating, and fun convo with Manisha. You are going to love it. And of course, if you do like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, scroll through the Money on the Move episodes, click on the five stars, leave us a review. Now, on to Manisha Raja. Monisha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to finally connect with you. Thank you, Marnie. It's a pleasure to be here and speak with you. You just got back from a 20-day silent retreat. Yes. Where were you and what was that like? So uh, I've been practicing Vipassana meditation, and uh, this is uh, the meditation of the Buddha, maintained in its pristine purity as best as humans could in a tr uh, oral tradition. And uh, they, there is a center up in uh, Massachusetts. It's the Vipassana Meditation Center, and uh, it's in Shelburne Falls. And I was, I was there for 20 days in complete silence. Wow. How did you get into this type of meditation? I would say I'm very fortunate. Way back in 19, I did my first 10-day course in 1994. Wow. Okay. So you're really ahead of the curve when it comes to this kind of stuff. I Yeah, I have a lot of experience because I, I've needed it. You know, I really did this. And if I was introduced to it by a friend of mine who had done one course and she told me about it. And um, I didn't read up much. I just took a bus, got on there and just headed over. I was, I was in my 20s, early 20s, really thrilled, you know, to experience something like that. I've always been fascinated with meditation. I've been I'd also been reading a lot of Krishnamurti books on meditation at the time. And so I just took the bus up. I didn't know what I was getting into. And then after 10 days, I was, I didn't want to come back. Wow this is what I want to do. And I told the teacher, I said, I don't want to come back. And, and he said, no, no, go back to your life. <laughs> the whole point of this meditation is so that we can, you know, come back into our lives with this knowledge, with this wisdom and our, and make a difference in our lives. Can anyone go and do this? And how do you get into this? If somebody wanted to do, is there like a five day meditation or one day meditation? 
Yeah, for this particular path, which was started by SN Goenka, uh, and he's a teacher from India, and they maintained it the way he studied with his teacher in Burma. So this was passed on from, uh, well, it left India after the passing of Buddha, I think after five or maybe a thousand years after it was, it was lost. And then it was maintained in Burma, came to Essengoengaji, who came back to India and started this practice. And these centers are all over the world. And it is open to anyone and everyone. But the minimum requirement is 10 days like that you get because and you'll understand it if you take a course you'll understand why because it takes that long to really understand and for the mind to even calm down your mind is I mean mine I, I should say is all over the place you know and it takes at least three to four days for it to begin to calm down so the teaching is received. So the first three days is, is uh, really getting the mind to concentrate and to be able to sit still for a moment. And once, once you're prepared, then the teaching of Vipassana is taught. And Vipassana is a Pali word, uh, which means seeing reality as it is, not as you would like it to be. Okay. That's so hard. Yeah. yeah, I know it, it is. It's it's tough. That's challenging. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but it's beautiful. Yeah. So, what are some of the things that you're doing while you're practicing this silent meditation? Like, are you just sitting? Are you in a room? Are you outside? Like, what's it? What is it like? Yeah, we are on a strict schedule. We have um, about. 10 and a half to 11 hours for my 20 day sit it was 11 hours of meditation a day and uh in a 10 day course it's about 10 and a half hours of meditation and there's no reading no writing you don't have any gadgets with you so the idea is that we spend our time like a monk or a nun which you know as lay people it's really hard to experience that but we're given the opportunity the circumstances are created the living conditions are created in a way that we're minimizing all distractions so you know if i had my phone with me i'd be constantly reaching for it and look checking my instagram or social media or you know it's just constant reaching out for um for any kind of distraction to get myself away from my from me right because all that anxiety and discomfort just being with self so that's that's pretty much it so you don't really do anything you're just pretty much trying to do nothing <laughs> and when things come up in your mind like I feel like you know sometimes like if I'm in a yoga class or if I'm out on a run or on my bike like I think about a lot of stuff but I'm not pulling out my phone and writing stuff down I try to remember if I get any great insight or anything but I'm always thinking even when I'm focused right so being focused on something in front of you and then there's a lot going on in your mind first how do you quiet your mind or how do you if there's something that comes up that's like important how do you take that away with you or do you not yeah no great question because it's something that I asked the teacher too because I had all these ideas come up right like, oh my god I like want you to have so much energy I can't you're like me and my mind's like going a mile in it and of course when we start to write this down you start to feed the mind that's fodder for the mind to keep going Got it. so 
So the teacher's response to me was, if it's important enough, you'll remember it later. Okay. It's nothing that important. And honestly, when I thought about it, yes, nothing is. And after I came out of it, yes, I remember a few of the things and ideas that have come up, but, and I tried to write them down and I have a journal, I'm writing it down and I'm actually writing this experience down in a blog Mm -hmm. because so people have asked me and they're fascinated by this and they don't know anyone who's done something like this I said okay I'll sit down and write it down but and so I'm writing whatever I can remember but what I don't remember it's not not important for me what are some big takeaways that you have come back with or that are coming up maybe now from that that you want to share with listeners that could be helpful for other people too yeah I think having given myself that time and amount of um, the quiet, I was able to, it was like a mirror being put up in front of me. Because even in a 10 day course, I'm able to see some of my behaviors and habits and, you know, and then, and then I just go on, move on. It seems like the 10 days is not enough now after I've done a 20. But the 20 days having this length of time and, and time with myself where every there was there was no way I could escape. <laughs> I'm thinking like, did you come back and just like, are you do- like, are you moving somewhere? Are you like no longer no. like you, you still are sticking to your who you are in this life, in this moment? You're yeah. not getting rid of are you getting rid of anything? Are you like, how are you changing and or not? Well, so so it was really about seeing myself. So when I came out, so the whole idea of this practice is so that we can apply it in our life. So if I were to get on a plane and go to the Himalayas and, and you know, go off into a cave, I don't think that's really the point. Right. I mean, if that's, if that's my path, wonderful. But that would yet, for me, be another escape right. from my reality. So I'm coming back right into my reality in New York City, as harsh as it may be, and learning to really sit with it, to with all the discomforts, all the, uh, you know, uncertainties, all the good stuff too, to be able to receive even that and be with it. And uh, for me, I think was really looking at, uh, at my habit patterns, uh, my reactiveness, so if this was a big takeaway for me and, and for, for me this time was, oh, like even in the little interactions, you're not allowed to look at anybody or make eye contact or distract anyone. There were, you know, and uh, so in a total, there were 70 meditators or over. Oh, wow. but you, yeah. And because of COVID, we have enough, you know, social distancing and it was so anti-social. <laughs> so we were not looking uh, at anyone, but I would you know, someone's coughing or someone's clearing their throat in the meditation hall. And I could see the irritation come up in me, or I could see the impatience or, and then my own impatience with my mind, I was able to see, oh my God, the insanity, the insanity of my mind, which I'm not able to see. Usually, usually I'm feeding it, you know, if it needs to be pacified, I'll get something, you know, or I'll, I'll feed it. But here, there was no way. And I, I was watching um, the complete madness all in here, all in here. And for me, what was really profound was just battling with my mind, mm-hmm. like 
And I thought I was not making any progress. And I thought this is horrible. Like I'm the worst meditation <laughs> meditator ever because I'm trying to get my mind uh, to, to focus on the breath. That's yeah. all we need to do the first day. It just would not, it would create fantasies, go into this. Uh, it's like the Yoga Sutra, Chitta Vritti Nirodaha and quieting the mind. Oh yeah, it is extreme. I mean, this is what the yoga sutras, the yoga scriptures all talk about. It's really quieting the mind. And so I was able to watch it and and see that it just wouldn't listen to me. And I was pleading, pleading for it to come back. I was bargaining, I was pleading. So for me, it was for the first time really seeing the separation between my mind and and then also this question of, if that's my mind, who am I? Like, where am I? So this was really quite um, mind blowing for me, the space that I was very, very clear about. And all the, you know, great teachers and um, sacred texts talk about this, you know, you are not your mind. But yeah, I heard it so many times, I don't really know what it means. I know that's true, but I haven't experienced it. And I think, I'm beginning to experience more of that, that, wow, I am not my mind. And I'm so glad because my mind is out of its mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I could see that being a big challenge as well for for anyone like who is always on the move, on the go. Like a lot of my athlete listeners, a lot of people that if you live in a big city, I mean, you're just constantly in your head and it's like so hard to get out of it. I mean, I've never... I think I've med- done a med- meditation once and I don't think I've made it past like five minutes. I mean, outside of my moving meditation, which is obviously so different than like a sit down silent meditation and retreat. I mean, what kind of breath work do you do? Is that something that like, is talked about during the retreat? So this practice is very different from yoga, uh, pr- like pranayama okay. and breathing where we manipulate and regulate the breath. So here we are just observing reality as it as it is oh wow so we're not changing even the breath even the breath is not changing all we're doing is observing the breathing so nothing changes with the we're not manipulating so we're learning to actually stop controlling and manipulating because we think we have to control and manipulate everything instead of just being so we're learning to just be so that's so interesting and so now what is it like being back well uh, being back, it felt like, you know, um, everything that I had in place, all the structures I had in place and all these things, you know, while I was in the 20 days, I was fantasizing about, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and I'm going to, you know, create this or workshops and things I had in place. Everything just fell, fell apart. Everything. Wow. Yes. So I came back to no structure, everything just crumbling. So it was more of the practice. I realized, wow, just really living in uncertainty because yeah. and, and the impermanence, which the meditation is. So here I was really experiencing that. And, and okay, I'm not in this beautiful setting mm-hmm. where it's in the Berkshires, gorgeous, everything's provided. I don't have any responsibilities coming back to like the 180 of that coming back yeah. to all the responsibilities and things not going my way. I have a very hard time when things do not go my way and nothing seemed to be going my way when I came back. And, um, but what did come out of this, which was really profound for me 
is, you know, I'm very sensitive to other people and relationships, of course, you know, so challenging. And I have had a very difficult relationship with my family, with, uh, have been estranged. And, and so coming back, I'm, I've reconnected. Oh, that's great. My, and I, um, I'm planning a trip back to India. I'm, I'm going to go to India, but, but it was this, uh, can I walk this path and, and deal with, you know, things not going my way, people not behaving the way I want them to behave. I have a similar problem. Like if I work really hard to manifest and I do all the hard work to make things happen and when they don't happen in the Mm. timeline that I want them to happen or if they don't come out how I plan them in my mind because I'm doing the work and I'm putting in the time and the energy and the effort, I get very frustrated and I often feel like I want to like throw my computer out the window, <laughs> go for a bike ride. Really? And I, I have to always check myself and just say, you know, like this is my big lesson. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to put in the energy and the effort. And you cannot control the things that happen. And like you just have to stay the course of what you are doing. And I think it's like always such a challenge as an entrepreneur. And you're an, I know you're an entrepreneur you have this amazing yoga practice and teachings that you do. You've, you know, fashion designer, you've got yoga aid and all the things that you do. I can relate. I can, I mean, if I could do that meditation, it would be awesome. But I would come back and I would be the same. So, no, being frustrated when things don't go your way. Yeah. And I feel like there's nothing else that's worth putting my time and energy into right now. Yeah. But practice. Yeah. Which is just very much like it, it is yoga it yeah. is yoga and and yeah learning that you know learning to stop manipulating people places things everything around yeah to go my way and to deal with reality as it is because nothing you know when you look at it nothing really goes your way you yeah. know and how can how can you stay balanced and happy and be okay with life as it unfolds. Why is meditation so important for us to incorporate into our lives? Well, think of meditation like building muscles. Just like you, if you're doing yoga asanas or you're thinking of doing physical workout, you're building muscles. You're strengthening your body physically. The same way we need mental muscles. We need to discipline the mind. We need to create... Um, discipline it. So meditation is doing for the mind, just the same way we are doing yoga asana, or going to the gym, whatever it is that we're doing physically for our body. Right, because mental health is is so important. And especially in these times where it's just everybody is so burnt out. And whether it be from the pandemic or their career or they're looking to switch gears and you really need to be strong. And I think, you know, even I am equally guilty of not really strengthening my mind to a level where I can actually control where it's going. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we are going to start leaking sideways. Going to come out in our relationships. You're going to be snapping at people. We're going to, you know, so these are the disciplines that we are learning. So uh, physically, we learn how to um, train our bodies. And and then mentally, the 
meditations are going to help us take that pause, that breath. And the yogis knew that the way to control the mind is through the breathing. Yeah. Because it's abstract. It's really hard to really go directly and try to work with the mind. So these breathing and pranayama practices were developed to then calm the mind down. Mm-hmm. And then meditation practices of being quiet is going to start to help us take that, like I mentioned, the pause before we react. It's going to make us less reactive. So it's all training, just yeah. like we train a little puppy. Yeah. And I mean, there's training. tons of, I mean, do you offer like meditation coaching? I mean, because you don't have to do a 10-day silence retreat no. to meditate. I mean, you can meditate five minutes. Yes. No, I do. I do teach um, meditation classes. It's not Vipassana because the the Vipassana can be only taught by very trained teachers. But I do teach uh, these um, the breath work, which is similar to that. And uh, through my training with uh, Deepak Chopra, I also teach his meditation. And uh, so those are about, you know, can last anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes and longer if you want. So I do teach that. Yeah. Yeah. And so important. It's just so important. And and I think like, I'm doing it. Not the 10 day silence retreat (laughs) meditation. (laughs) Just like understanding after talking to you, I think it's like so inspiring to, um, to hear this and to kind of like, just take it as a sign from the universe that it's time. Yeah. And I think people have this idea. If you do yoga, if you meditate, you have to give up things. Look at me. I'm in my designer clothes. I love life. I, I don't uh, deprive myself of anything. Right. You know, it's a whole idea of renunciation. I don't agree with. I think when you are on this path and you you go deeper and get to know yourself and your consciousness rises, things st- will start to fall away. Mm-hmm. again nothing that's forced yeah. like the forced idea of you know of, oh we shouldn't uh have money or if you're a spiritual person you shouldn't have that or that or a nice car or n- no or the hot boyfriend or whatever it is yeah. that, it's like no you can have it all you can still be uh, an amazing yoga practitioner and meditator and teacher and have all of this. And there will come a time, maybe you don't feel the need for it and it will slip away naturally. So don't, don't be afraid of yoga and meditation. It's not going to bring you. So let's talk about yoga since we kind of touched on that, the asana component of yoga, which you have been practicing since you're four years old. And you are born and raised in India, which we just, you know, you're going back to see your family. So talk to me about how you got into yoga and how you've developed your practice and where you're teaching and what you're doing in terms of outward activations. Yeah. So I started at four, you know, in India, it was um, very common back then in the 70s to uh, have yoga in school. We had yoga in school. Everyone did yoga. And every day as, and I'm very fortunate that, you know, I, I, and it's interesting that I went to a sort of a convent, like a British, like convent. Where are you from in India though? Originally originally I'm from Kerala, which is down South. Okay. Cause not everywhere in India yoga is practiced, right? Like it's only in certain parts. No, yoga is practiced everywhere, pretty much, but there's more of a concentration with yoga and Ayurveda down in the south. Okay. And but it's 
part of everyone's life. You know, it's just, it's the air you breathe, like you take it for granted. I think people just take it for granted in India. It's it's not seen as a path, a uh, career path, or, you know, that, that's just something you grow up with. Right. So you inhale it, you inhale it. So I, so yoga was uh, pra- uh, practiced in school and we would have hockey, we would have, you know, field hockey and basketball and all of this, but we had our yoga class as well. And because I was so flexible and it was just, you know, something fun for me while there were students in excruciating pain in class as the teacher sits on their back so that they can get their head to their knees, like not, not very yogic, but that was a training I had since so I was Ashtanga. Four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very physical. Yeah. You know, uh, I, uh, my father was in the army. So we were all we were traveled all over India every year, it would be a new place every year. But that was something that was consistent in my life was this yoga practice. And I think it, uh, it really has uh, helped me navigate my life in so many ways, all the challenges I've had. And, um, and then coming to the States, I mean, I, I maintained my practice and I came here and went to Parsons School of Design for fashion mm-hmm. design, did my yoga. And, and then when um, in, nine, in 2000, I had this yearning to go a little deeper for myself. I just wanted to go de- uh, study in, in a setting, mm-hmm. in like a Gurukula system, which is, you know, teacher, student, they live together, you really imbibe the teachings, and you live it for a, a period of time. So I, t- I got my training at the Shivananda ashram and uh, center in Kerala in Trivandrum. And most of my family uh, was there at the time. And so I went there and I did the training and I got my teacher's training with no desire really to teach. I really didn't want to teach, right? It was just it was just for me. And they insisted that I come back to New York City and teach at the at their center on uh, in Chelsea. Yeah. So I taught there for 19 years wow. on the side. Yeah, on the side. It was never something, you know, that was a career path for me while I was doing my fashion. So it really served me it was this matrix. And that's how it's viewed in India, too, that, you know, it, yoga and spirituality is it, it's just there so you can be a better accountant, a better designer, a better uh, lawyer or whatever your career path is, that it just enhances you. Or if you're a householder, it just makes you even better. It, and so the concept of becoming a yoga teacher, and that was what I made my living at, just was odd. I just stayed with it until... You know, and I and I left the Shivananda um, community as well. There's, you know, always scandal yes. in, in the community. So this was another scandal of the Swami having uh, sexually abused uh, many women. And so I was like, I cannot be associated uh, with with that center anymore. And I was teaching in that bubble. Right. And so I explored teaching out of the bubble and had a bit of a reality check in that world, in the very Western yoga world where I wasn't welcome. Right. And so that was quite, you know, jarring of an experience for me. And then um, when COVID hit, everything just stopped. Right. And that, and my, you know, yoga went you know, to the front, like everybody, all my students wanted yoga, but on zoom. So I just started teaching out of necessity. And that became front and center. 
fashion came to a standstill, my brand that had been working with, with indigenous communities and tribes in India also came to, you know, complete standstill. So I couldn't move forward. There was, and it was just so um, bizarre that the whole world had stopped. So I had a factory I was connected to in Spain and I was working with the factory. In, what was the name of your, of your fashion brand? It's called, it's still there. <laughs> Uh, it's called Love is Mighty. Okay. Parallel to your yoga career, you also have a fashion line, Love is Mighty. Tell me more about this. Yeah. So that came about, it's been 12 years now. And I uh, have been working in the in the fashion industry. With, I, after graduation, I worked with Donna Karen. And, and I cannot believe that we just met for the first time because you and I have a very similar path and it is crazy. I worked for Donna Karen. I went to Parsons. I'm from New York City. I was born in the 70s. I practice yoga. Wow. So weird. Okay. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. So tell me about Love is Mighty and like how that started and how you got into fashion. Yeah. Yeah, So in the 90s and early 2000s, I was in, in fashion and I was working with Ralph Lauren, with Donna Karen, all, all the big design houses and, and went into um, fashion illustration. So I did a lot of fashion illustration for the different companies. I love drawing, painting. So I, I am still working on how these uh, different parts of me can converge into right. what I'm doing. And, and they're all coming together and making sense. And I have this love of color, love of fashion, love of you know fabrics and textiles and crafts and all of this. And um, I think in 2005 or six, somewhere at, at that point, the design director uh, at... Tori Birch reached out and asked me if I could come in and design shoes. And I said to him, I was like, oh, I have never designed shoes before. And I don't have not done that. He's like, oh, you're a great designer. You can do anything. I was like, wow, that was quite a bit of confidence. And I went in and I started designing shoes and it came about so quickly and and easily not not easily but it was just something I picked up yeah if you can design um you know a a dress yes you can design a car you can design if you have that mind Mm -hmm. that create anything and I was really good with uh my drawing uh my drawing skill is you know I have a very strong drawing skill and I could I could design and draw and create these ideas and come up with things and so I started designing shoes and I just went right into it like I've been I've been designing for them for 14 years as a consultant and different uh, brands reached out to me, BCBG, Max Osria, yep. Mudo, all of them. So I've started designing shoes for them. And then I asked at the time I was working with Mercedes Castillo, who's a wonderful designer and I love her. And, and she was the one who launched their shoe line. And I said to her, you know, I'm vegan because, you know, I don't wear leather I do not eat animals I don't but I'm always wearing sneakers because Mm -hmm. I don't really cool shoes that are not made from leather can Tori start a leather you know non-leather line and she and she's like Manisha you're you're vegan and she goes (laughs) why don't you do it go do it yourself and 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 that idea terrified me and I thought about it I was like yeah why don't I and I had no money. I had 
this great idea. And I had a friend at Tori too, who pushed me. He was like, yeah, Manisha, this is great. You should do it. Just get on the next flight, go to India, which I did. I went to India on the next flight. I started, I took a backpack, went and visited a remote areas, mostly between uh, Pakistan and India, close to the border, like barren desert lands. Oh but I started hearing about these uh, tribal communities and nomadic tribes who were doing this incredible handwork and beautiful things. So I went and lived with them and, and said, oh, this is somehow I've got to do this. Then found a vegan shoe factory in Bombay. Like, what are the chances? Really? And yeah. And so then and I brought back the, then. Yeah. I mean, that was like yeah. so. Yeah, that was 2010, I would say 2009, 2000, somewhere. Yeah, I brought the two together. I was like, I want to create uh, vegan shoes, so non-leather shoes um, using materials that are recycled and biodegradable or as best as I can to create a fashion brand working and collaborating with tribal artisans, a lot of women who are doing handwork and how can I bring this? So all of that came together and I called it Love is Mighty. In fact, I had a vision in one of my meditations. Um, it was clearly shown to me, call it Love is Mighty. Wow. And I was like, yeah, because friends were saying, oh no, it should be called Monisha Raja. I was like, yeah, but that that just puts a cap on it. No, yeah. it, so much more. And I was shown to call it that. And I just go with it. And I think for me, it's all about the gut, listening to my gut, like constantly trusting that, going with it. And I called it Love is Mighty. And that's how Love is Mighty came to be born. That's so awesome. All right. Hope you are enjoying this conversation. Just jumping in here to give a shout out to today's sponsors, Athletic Greens and AG1. I started using AG1 months ago. And it has been an amazing addition to my daily wellness routine. I was looking to boost my immunity, improve my gut health, and optimize my endurance sports performance. I needed an all-in-one nutritional supplement that was easy to add to the mix that would also work with my sensitive gut. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food supplements, and adaptogens, and it's super simple to use. You just add one scoop to a cup of water. The travel packs are amazing too. I've been on the road with the show for the past month and having these AG1 packets with me was a real game changer for keeping my energy boosted and helping me stay healthy on the road and in flight. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every day to take great care of yourself. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it tastes great too. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supplement of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase – all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the move. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the move to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to yoga. Yeah. You're doing both. You're designing and own company you launched and you're designing shoes and accessories that 
are based on the principles of ahimsa and nonviolence to animals and and you're empowering people in tribal communities with work and mm-hmm. you know you're doing this company love is mighty and you're also teaching yoga but then covid happened and the pandemic happened so how did you pivot with everything and were you still producing and manufacturing what happened to you during yeah. the pandemic and how did that change the course of your career now yeah so i was actually planning a retreat a yoga retreat in kerala in 2020 and then while i was working on my brand and and all of that just came to a standstill but i had just gone to spain and i had connected with a few factories in spain uh close to barcelona and in Alicante, actually uh, south, and working on the next line and launching that and and collaborating and and then boom, come back and Spain's hit so hard, you know, everyone was hit so hard, all these factories shut down, and I was like, wow, you know, while I think a lot of people were freaking out, I was like, okay, I'm gonna just listen to this, like let it all rest. Finally, all the plates that I'd been keeping spinning just came down and crashed and shattered. And I was, I was almost relieved. I was relieved. I was like, I would never have stopped, you know, and it's it's compulsion to do, to create, to, and I'm sure you relate. And a lot of you relate 100%. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like something greater than myself, a divine force really like put the brakes on it. And what, and okay, you're not listening. You're not listening because I was just, you know, pushing forward, making things happen, even though they were not sustainable. It was very difficult to work my, uh, with Love is Mighty at that, at a time when it was, you know, I, I was doing it all by myself. I was traveling to the factories and going, you know, when everything came to a standstill, I got COVID as well. So I got COVID in April or, or end of March of 2020. So very early on before there was testing, before people knew what this was. And it was long and protracted for me. I had absolutely no sinus infection, no lung infection. My pulmonary system was completely fine, but I had fatigue, debilitating fatigue. I had all the other symptoms. There was body ache and there was this very strange behavior of fever coming in and out. And my everything was pretty mild except for the fatigue. And I, at that time, I connected with a doctor from Mount Sinai uh, through, you know, just a random uh, telehealth that a video call that they, they were offering to people who had COVID. And I connected with him and he was fascinated that I had absolutely no congestion. Uh, my lungs, my sinuses, respiratory system were completely healthy in condition mm. because he was a lot of patients who were hit so hard and as you remember many people were dying yeah from uh, from pulmonary the disease and heart disease yeah yeah so he he was convinced it was my yoga practice and it was my pranayama practice and uh, and urged me to start teaching this to other people and because of him i started teaching i started teaching uh, a class on pranayama and proper breathing and um and i was actually quite so shocked quite shocked that most people 99% of the people did not know how to take in a proper breath, even before going into pranayama techniques. So you go into a yoga class and the teacher goes, take in a deep breath and everyone's inhaling deeply. 
but nobody knows how, right. or they assume, they assume they know how, but they don't really know. And once I started teaching just basic yogic breathing, the physiology of breathing, people were like, wow, is that how you really breathe? And it makes a world of a difference. Yeah. One of the big takeaways I've got from yoga in my life was just learning how to breathe. I mean, it's amazing that you were able to correlate breath work and pranayama to COVID and recovery. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, I, I just knew that this was something that I did and that kept me healthy and my doctors pushing me to do this. So there must be something here and people need to learn this. Yeah. So I didn't understand the science behind it so much I trusted it for me it's all about the gut like I said I trust yeah. something or don't and I just follow that and I have been doing that and I knew some of the science and anatomy and physiology that I had studied and also from my school school days in India I was you know like a good Indian girl <laughs> I've I was expected to become a doctor. Yeah. And so I had all these medical books and I was studying actually to do that. And to the disappointment of my parents, I went into fashion. But <laughs> but that interest yeah. in health and, and biology was always there for me. So I had enough knowledge and a year later, so that this was in May of um, 2020, all this was happening. And then in, I think it was April, 2021, I was contacted by um, yoga teacher and researcher, Eddie Stern and a scientist uh, who was affiliated with MIT and Harvard, uh, Dr. William Bushell, collaborate with them. I had a meeting with them and they had heard about my work and my research and and what I was doing with COVID patients and this uh, and and they they said they they were very impressed and they wanted to add me on to their team. That's amazing. First of all, I love Eddie, as we both know, and I've practiced with him at his multiple studios, the Broom Street Temple. So what kind of breathing, what kind of pranayama were you doing? Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I know it might be hard for people to understand like how to describe breath work, but we can try. <laughs> I mean, do you want to do just one, just to, just an introduction that I can, I can, yeah, have the, understand. I mean, I don't know if, yeah, yeah, tell me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it'll take a couple of minutes. So uh, if you want to just relax your shoulders, take your elbow, just have and keep your spine tall. Just want to ask you and everyone who's watching this, take the deepest breaths you've taken, breath you've taken today, just through the nose, just taking a deep breath. Take another one. Exhale also, or just inhale? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to. <laughs> I mean, if you can do that, well, please no, teach I was you. doing that like, you know, inhale, eight yeah, seconds, yeah. exhale, right. eight seconds. No, no, no. It's, it's just normal. Just nothing. Okay. Yeah. Take a deep inhalation. Okay. Good. So most people, when asked to take a deep breath, do this. All right. And I think because of your yoga practice, you you, you know um, how, what parts of the body moves when you're taking a proper deep breath. So most people, when I ask them to take in a deep breath, that's what they do: is lift their shoulders, puff up the chest, and and suck in the belly. Right. So right. this is what we're taught in society. Oh yeah, got to suck in that belly. You know, don't let it hang out. And so we've got this very bad habit, and we breathe in the, actually the opposite of what we're meant to do. Right. So when we're 
inhaling, we're meant to use the belly. In fact, don't move the chest. And uh, because the lungs, when you're pushing the chest open, you're thinking that your lungs are expanding as you're expanding the chest. But the skeletal system, right, the rib cage is not going to let the lungs expand forward. It hits uh, the, uh, the rib cage. Right. And so when you when you're inhaling and you allow your belly to expand, that's breathing is allowing the belly to expand. And as the belly expands, the diaphragm, which is a large belt of mm -hmm. muscle that separates the thoracic cage from the abdominal area, descends, it goes mm -hmm. down. And so the lungs then begin to descend down and expand fully. So now the air rushes in to fill in that and fill, fill in that expanded lungs. And then as you exhale and bring the belly back in, the diaphragm moves up to its normal state, which is like an umbrella shape, pushes against the lungs and all the air goes out. So it's not even an effort. So we're not efforting, we're not sucking air in when people you know, think of breathing, it's an effort. It's not an effort. When we create this expansion in the body just by the organs to move as they should and allowing the sort of harmonious undulating movement in the body, the air pressure, it's all about air pressure, equalizing air pressure. The air pressure outside, you know, is higher. It's, it, it's uh, lower when you expand the lungs and it'll rush in to equalize. And then when the air pressure gets high inside, the, you know, the diaphragm moves out, pushes all the air out. So it's this effortless inhalation and exhalation. So the Dirgashwasam or proper yogic breathing. And uh, so we, you know, we can just, if you want to, you know, just take a, take a few breaths with me. Let's do that. So you can place your hands on your thighs. Okay. So this is the simplest pranayama. We're not, but yet so powerful. And the, um, we're going to stress the exhalation. So it's slightly longer than the inhalation. So keep the shoulders relaxed, breathing in a nose. You're going to inhale. And as you inhale, let the belly expand. This might feel awkward. And as you exhale through the nose, let the belly, the navel come in, contracting the belly, bring it in back toward your spine, exhaling fully through the nose. And inhalation is passive, inhale, belly expands. And then exhaling, belly comes in, exhale fully through the nostrils. One last one, inhale deeply. And exhale through the nose, belly drawing in. And relax. So just that simple breathing is going to engage the nervous system. In fact, the parasympathetic ner nervous system, which is responsible for rest, for digestion, and also connected to the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is activated through this breathing, especially with the exhalation being longer. And when we are breathing in through the mouth and we are not connecting with our body, we are activating the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, which is the fight or flight response of the nervous system. And we are in chronic stress. We're constantly hyper-vigilant and alert. And so we're, we've just completely lost that balance and, and uh, nervous system is dysregulated.
Interesting. So, and that's why in yoga, you're supposed to breathe through your nose, not your mouth. Yeah, there, you know, there are very few, but there are some pranayamas that the breathing is through the mouth, but I would say 98% is through the nose. And because of because breathing in through the nose, as you may know, we have nasal dom uh, dominance, like right. alternate nostrils, like one nostril is more open. It alternates from one and a half hours to three hours, uh, which no uh, nostril is more dominant. And the opposite brain hemisphere is active. It indicates that if my left nostril is more open, my right brain hemisphere is active. If my right nostril is more open, my left brain hemisphere is active. And those are related to the sympathetic nervous system with the uh, right nostril and the parasympathetic nervous system with the right, uh, the left nostril. So it breathing through the nose is constantly bringing, you know, this kind of um, balance and connection between the left and right brain hemispheres and balancing between these two parts of the autonomous nervous system. So was that helpful for you with having brain fog and, or it was more helpful for people with lung issues and nasal issues when it came to COVID? You know, the, the, long, the long, deep and slow breathing is very helpful for that. And as I was also collaborating with uh, Dr. Bushell and Eddie, I was learning that I, I do this in class all the time and I didn't even know this. I start the class with Brahma Mudra. Uh, so those are the neck movements. Mm -hmm. And here we go in four different directions. Yeah. And then I was doing, uh, doing pranayama breathing that um, creates humming like Brahmari. Uh, I was doing these things. So especially the Brahma Mudra, the neck movement. So it's really essential to do those because it cleans out the lymphatic system. So the clogging brain fog or neurocovid is a, an, a, a symptom of, of, you know, the lymphatic system getting clogged up. Okay. So Ayurveda, which I am also trained as a Ayurveda coach through Dr. Deepak Chopra, it creates ama. So any toxicity in the body is called ama, this kind of residue and the stickiness, mm -hmm. and that's what's of the lymphatic system. And this gets cleaned through the cervical lymph nodes when we're moving. So the neck is, in fact, you know, in classes, people neglect it so much. People don't even address the neck. Here we have such an important bridge between the brain and the rest of the body and the organs. This is where the nerves pass through. And so once we start to get older and there's all the stiffness and, you know, we have congestion here and, and um, it, it starts to fuse, the vertebrae yeah. start to these issues. We need to maintain really healthy neck because of the lymph nodes, the thyroid, parathyroid, the endocrine system, all yeah. of this is, is situated here. So the, so uh, brain fog, yes, it uh, starts to, be reduced and this is a, a potential treatment for brain fog are the neck movements and also the pranayama for so sure. for my listeners if you want to do a deeper dive into your yoga they can go to your website and you offer online classes and you do all of this there because I know my listeners are all around the world right and I think I took mm -hmm. your class and one of my takeaways from your class because I've been practicing yoga for a long time but I think that you know, when you practice the same thing for a long time, you do the same movements and with everything you do. And I think that in the beginning, the neck movements that you did and that pranayama, I was yeah. thinking 
how great it felt for the rest of my body and just for my head and just being able to get into my body and out mm-hmm. of my head and into the practice. But that is something that I think you have to visually watch and see. For my listeners, I think that they should just go and take your classes online and check it out if they're interested because it's hard to get the visual from this conversation if you're listening and you're not watching on YouTube. But I do think yeah. that no matter what you do, like even if you're not practicing yoga every day, it's an amazing exercise for mm-hmm. brain fog and also just for the rest of your body. Yeah. And more than just physical, asana is just one limb, right? Yoga yeah. has eight limbs. Yes. And, and even the pranayama, which is just the second, which is another limb of yoga. The breathing is, and it's about prana because life force, right? right. Pranayama means life force expansion. So it's expansion of life. It literally means expansion of life force. And that's what we're doing. So when we go into these uh, pranayama practices, breathing practices, and neck movements. And I'm a big fan of slow yoga, Mm -hmm. because I think we're so, you know, conditioned to do uh, these fast movements. And we, we, if we're looking at yoga, just exercise, yes, you'll get a fabulous body. But I really encourage everyone to look at yoga as so much more. There's so much more to offer than just, you know, um, just as an exercise, as a cardiovascular physical exercise it's just vast the possibilities are just humongous yeah I've never in my entire time of practicing considered yoga exercise like I've always looked at it as like a spiritual practice but I do practice and I have practiced ashtanga which is pretty intense so it's interesting that you say that I mean I think a lot of people think it's exercise and well yes that is true, but that's not the point, at least not for me or you. Yeah, I think besides just even stress relief or um, relaxation, better sleep, you know, it can treat insomnia. There's yoga. And when I say yoga, I also mean the meditative aspect of it and meditation. It's scientifically proven that it increases levels of melatonin. I mean, melatonin is huge. And it was pretty much on the forefront of treating COVID right. during COVID and it was used, uh, it's used to treat Ebola. And um, so th- we have this power, f- we are, we are a powerhouse yes. and that's ancient yogis. And I, uh, they are the original scientists. They knew what we are capable of and we, and, and, you know, pharma and biotech companies are looking to do this on the outside because they haven't really gone within and really experienced and studied the human body, but the yogis have, and we can create, and I am not saying, do not get vaccinated. Do not know. I am not saying that. Please go ahead. Uh, do all the medical, follow the medical uh, protocol and, but I'm saying is that we can activate those very same mechanisms that a vaccine and antibody cocktail can activate in our in our uh, system, and yoga through yoga, through meditation, and these practices. And that's what I'm studying, and that I feel so honored um, and so blessed to be able to share with everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's I I think it's pretty incredible. So, and then along with that, so you were teaching at Eddie Stern's practice here in New York City. So are you yeah. still, so you're teach, you were teaching there before you left uh, for your retreat, and now yeah. you're back. So for my listeners in the tri-state area that come into the city, 
and do classes, they could come and physically take your class with Eddie or are you still teaching there? Yeah, uh, we just serve in the process of figuring out a schedule. <laughs> you know, things have changed because I went away for 20 days, total silence, and I came back. And so we're actually meeting, we're meeting tomorrow to discuss the schedule. So I will be teaching at Broom Street uh, Ganesh Temple. And it's also the only Hindu temple in Manhattan, uh, which is really, most people don't know that. Oh, I and didn't realize that. Yeah, it's a beautiful space and it's on um, Broom and Crosby. So people who can come physically to a class, please do join us. And it'll be on Eddie's uh, website soon at Aaron.com. That's awesome. So, and your website is Manisha Raja Yoga and it's M-O-N-I-S-H-A-R-A-J-A-Y-O-G-A. And you have all your yeah. classes there. Yeah. Online uh, I, classes. Yes. Online right now, I'm primarily teaching on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. So anybody who wants to experience a class with me, please join me. It's all virtual. And I give workshops and, you know, there are always things that I do in person. You just had a workshop, right? Yes. Yes. I actually. How was it? It was wonderful. We were at Abhaya Yoga at, in Dumbo, which is a beautiful space. So if anybody you know can check their space out, please do. And we, uh, I talked about um, Ayurveda and yoga because you know we go into a yoga class and we all do the same things. We all do the same pranayama. We all do this. It's it's not individualized. Of course, it's it's hard in a group class, but. Ayurveda and yoga, sister sciences, and not everything is recommended because for all of us. So we have three body types in Ayurveda. So it's also catered, like which kind of pranayama. So a pranayama like the um, Brahmari may not be good for one body type. What are the body types? So there's Vata, which is uh, the air and space, which is one, that's the predominant. So these elements predominant uh, are predominate in that uh, dosha or body type. And then there's Pitta, which is fire and water. So that's very, um, you know, uh, hot, heated, and but can also be really great for transformation, fueling that kind of energy and prana can, you know, a lot of prana there. And then there's kapha, which is water and earth. So they're big structure, bigger builds, frames, more endurance. So, I mean, this is such a vast topic, but just reduce it to that. So these are the three body types. So what might be good for vata like the rapid breathing mm-hmm. is actually aggravate the vata. It's going to create more of a nervous condition, through, um, increase worry, anxiety in a vata, but it would be very good for a kappa who needs, who needs to be woken up. Right. Like they're more. How do you figure so, out what your body type is? Is there like a book or somewhere online that you can-, you can? You can find things online. There are many books on Ayurveda that are written. And also you can, have a consultation with an Ayurvedic lifestyle coach like me and have a questionnaire and a quiz. So we would go through these to determine which, where you would fall and based on which body type you are, and uh, you will be prescribed a lifestyle based on nutrition, even meditation, uh, movement practice too. If you choose to practice yoga or any other kind of movement too, it'll be recommended 
what would be good for you and what kind of foods to eat. Uh, so there's a, it's a, such a vast area that I'm, I'm just enjoying learning so much more about. So what's your body type? Mine is a pitta, a uh-huh. fire, <laughs> with a vata imbalance. So I do have, uh, you know, it's it's all that activity. Yeah. So I can t- and c- tend to get out of balance with too much activity. So I have to watch out for that. And pittas can get very irritable, impatient. Like I said, you know, when things don't go my way. So I've got to Are you watch also for- a Scorpio? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm after you, uh, uh, after Scorpio. You're, oh, so you're Sagittarius? Yeah. That's so interesting. More yeah. fire. yes half animal you know so you do consultations I know you do one-on-one consultations for yoga and asana and pranayama so you also are doing that for Ayurveda and people looking to understand and get more into that lifestyle yes definitely and especially for people who practice yoga Mm -hmm. I think it's essential to understand the principles of Ayurveda because Ayurveda really helps that sadhaka or student of yoga stay healthy emotionally and physically on the path to enlightenment. So the goal for yoga is always enlightenment. I mean, it doesn't have to be for everyone who comes into yoga. If your goal is just to be physically fit or calm and relaxed, that's fine. But Ayurveda helps keep you healthy in, in, in that way. And then yoga lends to Ayurveda a deeper meaning, deeper purpose for staying healthy. It's for the spiritual enhancement it's for that ultimate goal of samadhi yeah the eight limb eight limb practice all right back to you being half animal and sagittarius oh talking about half animal so i i love animals i'm a big you know animal rights activist as well so through yoga aid we're having our event in october on october 21st oh wow Uh, awesome yes So I am partnering with Nina Rao. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She is a wonderful musician uh, and she's a Kirtan uh, uh, singer and she uh, works with Krishna Das. And um, if most people in yoga know who that is. Yes, Krishna Das. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to be at our event. uh, And he's going to lead us in a few chants. So what we are doing uh, is So we have this wonderful uh, scientist and uh, conservationist from India coming. She, um, her name is Dr. Kriti Karanth, and she heads a center for wildlife studies. And they have a sanctuary in South India uh, for tigers and elephants and all wildlife. But Dr. Uh, Kriti's main work is about educating the population to coexist peacefully. And it's really sad and heartbreaking what's happening. And especially during the pandemic lockdown, uh, there have been wildlife poaching and uh, on elephant poaching and, and, you know, elephant Ganesh. I mean, we in yoga revere Ganesh so much and so iconic. And here's the Ganesh temple, you know, Eddie's temple that I'm teaching at. Yet there's some disconnection then when it comes to the actual elephant, the actual animal. Uh, and there has, you know, culturally in, in, in the heritage, there's so much reverence for nature, for animals. So there is that. But then when it comes to, you know, a lot of people have lost their livelihoods and are struggling to feed their families. So poaching is on the high and however they whatever means that they can 
their family. So, so we are raising funds that will go toward uh, the preservation of their habitats for, for elephants, for tigers, for all, all of wildlife. But we are really focusing on the elephants right now. And you started Yoga Aid in 2021. It's a nonprofit organization that you created to honor yoga's roots and culture. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so again, again, you know, I just, I just go with what I'm inspired by and at the at the time as you know in April of 2021 India was devastated with their second wave of covid hitting it was just heartbreaking to see you know the 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 death that the death yeah, was terrible and and knowing that elders were passing away who had the knowledge these wisdom traditions that you know were not going to be passed on there was a lot we were losing a lot of this and in my world of yoga here I was barely hearing anything about it people were talking about mental health issues nobody would here's the birthplace of yoga the place that has given us this enormous gift and you know there are businesses that are multi-billion dollar businesses in the West based on yoga. And nobody was really talking about it. I heard a few people gathering, but there was not a really large unified effort mm-hmm. to do anything or to talk about what's happening in India. So I was pissed. My pitta was, you know, yeah. <laughs> out of control. And so when I had that meeting with the, uh, Dr. Bushell and Eddie, I, I said, hey, you know, I after we had this conversation about COVID and collaborating, I said, Eddie, I'm going to ask you something. You can totally say no, but I have I, I would like to do a fundraiser for COVID relief in India and bring together Indian and South Asian practitioners and hear from them, because this is another area. Uh, which a lot of people seem to be surprised about where there is where Indians and South Asians are being marginalized in the world of yoga. I have experienced that myself. And I was like, I want to create an event where I honor teachers and teachings from the source and gather them together and, and the cause being raising funds for COVID and CWS that's a center for wildlife studies that Dr. Uh, Kirti, who's coming for this event, we was one of the organizations that we funded through this because they set up something like 300 primary health cares and on grassroots levels were addressing uh, the, co- uh, the COVID issue on the ground in India. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing work. So that's how I've, I got to know uh, uh, Dr. Kriti and we connected and we're continuing to work work together. So that happened. And Eddie said immediately, he was like, absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, wow, without, without a pause, he said that. And then it just, in six weeks, it just blew up. I had the small idea or, you know, I had a pretty far-fetched idea. I wanted to do this. And from there went to becoming a global event. So we had... Um, 
teachers and presenters from all over the world. We had Dr. Bhavnani from Pondicherry in South India as one of the keynote speakers. We had Dr. Deepak Chopra. We had, you know, and it, it just sort of blew up where we also were addressing the cultural appropriation in yoga that we are seeing. We're talking about what allyship looks like. Like, how do you, how are you going to be a good ally and a steward of yoga. We are all stewards of yoga. Yeah. We cannot own this. We can't own this. So let's stop that and let's become uh, allies rather than performative allies. What's the difference? And how can you support presenters and teachers from the source to bring this knowledge forth? Uh, so that was the inspiration for Yoga Aid. And that event happened, which we were blown away by. We had 30 presenters, two day full events. Uh, over the weekend and me moderating for 22 hours. Oh my God. I was, I had barely slept in weeks. And then I just, I, I could, and again, it's that, you know, just being um, passionate and being driven by that prana because it was something that I really believed in. And so uh, that's how it came into being. And I um, already had a nonprofit organization that had been sitting idle for 20 years. Talk about following instincts. In, to, in 2000, I, was, I just had the inspiration to start a nonprofit organization for yoga. Mm -hmm. And it sat idle. We did some work during tsunami when the tsunami hit Thailand and South India and all of, you know, that was in 2005, we did some work then. And it's been sitting idle since then. And it was revived it's like again. waiting for you waiting for this to happen again so here it is so yoga aid is now a nonprofit organization that does work and our next event is the wildlife conservation if anybody's in new york and they want to come and where will people be able to find more information about that so nina and i are working on that right now okay and we're going to have that up and as soon as it's up please follow me on my instagram which is monisha raja yoga and also yoga aid letter uh, uh, number four India is the uh, Instagram handle for Yoga Age. So I'll be posting about that there. And it's also available via Zoom. So people can join virtually as well for this event. And so we're very excited and we're really excited to have Krishna Das there. That's and super cool. My last question is, I just want to say Duran Duran. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what? I can't believe you remember. I remember everything. I wish we recorded that conversation, but this one was really even better. So oh yeah, God. let's just talk our, about our mutual passion for Duran Duran, because that was how we met back at Neuhaus and where this all started. Yeah. Tell me, like, where did that begin for you? Like, were you listening to them as a kid in India? Yeah, no, I was I was obsessed. I was 14. I was obsessed with Duran Duran and especially John Taylor, the bass guitarist. Like, I, I was in love. And um, and it was, you know, my escape at the time. Like I'm constantly wanting to escape my reality, but it was a beautiful escape. And and I was going to, I had applied to Saint, uh, Central St. Martin's and plan was I'm going to go for to study fashion in London and Durant runs in London. So then in my teen magazine, like this is when I was 17, 18 years old, I read that John Taylor moved to Manhattan. And I was like, oh my God, change of plans. You know, I did not, you know, share that, of course, with my parents. Um, but I was like, yeah, I, I'm going to go to Parsons in Manhattan, Parsons School of Design. It just totally makes sense. 
So my whole life trajectory changed. I came to <laughs> New York City to study fashion following John Taylor with absolutely no plan of meeting him or any of that. Like that was just not even, that was just beyond, but I just was like, wow, I'm going to go where John Taylor is. I think if, it, if New York City is good for John Taylor, it's good for me. And I moved to New York City. I came here when I was 19, almost 20, and started going to school here and you know, did my thing, got my yoga training, all of that. And I was teaching at, I, I was teaching my classes at Shivananda. And in my class, there was this woman, she was French and she would come to my class. She was shocking redhead. Um, and she'd come to my classes and she, she was a regular. She just keep coming. I, I didn't really know her very well, except that she was my yoga student. And she came up to me one day and she said, would you come would you come to uh, the Dominican Republic? I have a re retreat there. I'm bringing a few friends together. Would you come and teach us yoga? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know her. I was like, oh my God, she might be absolutely nuts. But uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she um, she said, I'll, I'll get you, I'll fly you there, you know, for maybe a week or two. I said, sure. And it turned out that all her friends canceled. And uh, she said, you know, do you want to come anyway and teach me? And I was like, wow, that might be very weird, but I'll say yes to it. And I, I did go and we became the best of friends. Like she was amazing. She's much older than I am, but it was just complete like, oh, wow, a fellow Sagittarian. And we had so much fun. And one day over breakfast, she looked at me and she said, why did you move to New York City? Like of all, you know, like you're in India, like what made you do that? And I had never told them to, or anybody yeah. about, it's so embarrassing. You know, <laughs> now I feel like I've, to, uh, you know, it's well, okay. I followed Madonna to New York. It's not embarrassing. <laughs> okay. All right. And I, I, I was, I had never told anyone that story. So I, I told her the story. I said, yeah, because of John Taylor. So she picks up the phone and calls him and, and I was, I almost fell off my chair. And she goes, John, I have a friend here who is mad about Duran Duran and about you. And, and she gave me the receiver and I couldn't even, I think I was just speechless. I would have just made a complete fool of myself. I said, no. And she, she, she got on, the, she was on the phone and he said that they were having their reunion tour in that very year. I think it was 2007. Yeah. And he said, we're going to be, I think it was Roseland. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, Roseland. At the Roseland ballroom. And, yeah. and, uh, and he said, you've got to come. You two are invited front row. And, and I was like, wow, I could not believe this. I could yeah. not believe this. So it turns out my friend Frankie was their set designer oh production for all those videos that I had been watching when I was 14, I was drooling over, you know, um, those in like amazing. Yeah. yeah. Girls on film, hungry, like oh the my God. videos. She was the set designer wow. for them. Close friends with all of them. In fact, Simon Lebon's daughter is named after Frankie's daughter. And it was just, just, 
kind of blew my mind. And John Taylor was good on his word. And in uh, in November of 2007, went to the reunion tour front row. I still have the tickets with one ticket has his name on it. The other one has mine on it. And we had backstage passes. We went back, met with, I have a wonderful photo where I'm looking like a giddy teenager yeah. with him. What were so some, there, did you talk to him? Like, what were some questions yeah. that you asked? Oh my God. I mean, he was also so tired after that, you know, long concert. And, and I just said to him, I said, John, um, I moved to New York because of you. And he looked at me and he went, how's that working out for you? And laughed. <laughs> we laughed really hard. And I was like, well, really great. Actually, I'm right here. You know, so it was, it was just really funny. That's was, so he, amazing. So wonderful, really lovely, wonderful. And have yeah, you stayed that, in touch? Uh, no, not 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 like that. But that that was it. That was the culmination of all that that incredible vision of a fourteen year old. That's amazing. Full circle. Full circle moment. And and who knows? You know, the story may continue. I might see him again. Is Frankie still in your world? Yeah, I, you know, she's back in Paris. Yeah. So. Uh, haven't you know don't see her that much but she's still practicing yeah yeah yes yeah that's awesome do you ever do yoga to music have you ever just done like a whole class to Duran Duran (laughs) (laughs) no 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 now you've put an idea in my mind Uh imagine I don't think anyone else would be that excited. Maybe you be, and I. Yeah, no, I will yeah, come practice yeah. with you. And you could do any asanas. And I would just be like, well, Eddie did his birthday class to David Bowie, which was, you know, led Ashtanga class to like every David Bowie song that he could fit into the class. Amazing. <laughs> it yeah. was fun. Another, yeah. Another, another big, you know, hero for me. David yeah. Bowie. Well, definitely David Bowie with his fashion. And oh, yeah. my God, I was. And his, and his music too. I mean, classic rock is something I I grew up with. Yeah. While I had all the Sanskrit mantras happening as well, so I, I have these very diverse worlds, uh, you know, that have converged. Yeah. And I'm wearing my Issey Miyake dress in honor of Issey Miyake, the designer, the Japanese designer. Yes. Who I am. I I don't think there's any other person for me. You know that he was a genius, and he passed away very recently, a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, that was a big loss. He started that amazing pleat. It's an accordion yeah. pleat, but it's like really tiny, like thin. Tiny. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it on my dress. Beautiful. You always wear such beautiful colors. I definitely would think if I saw you, you're in fashion. Thank you. I mean, after my twenty days of meditation, I mean, somebody came up to me. A, a few women came up to me, and they said. Where do you get your clothes? You've got it going on. I was like, hmm, we weren't supposed to look at each other. And they're like, yeah, we were looking. We were looking. That's so that funny. Re- this is really great. Thank you so much, Manisha. Yeah, thank you, Marnie. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. 
I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 